to The West Steps, a podcast by the Colorado Children's Campaign that explores issues impacting Colorado kids and families. There's just about a month left in Colorado's 2023 legislative session, but there's a lot of work still to come. On today's episode of The West Steps, Riley Kitts, the Children's Campaign's Senior Director of Policy and Government Affairs, gives us a close-up look at some of the dynamics shaping this year's session. He also catches us up on priority bills related to early childhood, family economic prosperity, health policy, and youth success. Let's get started. Riley, thanks so much for being with us here today on The West Steps. We are recording on Friday, March 31st, and releasing this next week, the beginning of April. So can you tell us a little bit about where we are in the legislative session as April kicks off? Yeah, happy to, and thank you for having me on. So uh, folks recall our legislative session in Colorado is 120 days from early January to early May, and we are really far along here now. We have less than 40 days to go in the 2023 legislative session. Um, A lot has been happening underneath the gold dome over at the state capitol. I think what's uh, on top of everyone's minds right now is the state budget. Uh, The long bill, as it's called every year, was recently introduced in the Senate. That's after months and months of hearings and discussions from the Joint Budget Committee with our state agencies, special interest groups, to try to pass a balanced budget, which we're required to do every year, for the next fiscal year, which starts in July. And so the JBC, the Joint Budget Committee, met for all those months. And what that really culminated in into was the long bill, our state budgeting bill, which comes through every year. Once it's introduced, each chamber gets to take its swipe, its crack at um, amending the long bill, trying to add funding, maybe reducing funding. People get to offer amendments. It gets debated in both chambers before it finally gets finalized and signed by the governor. And so last week, the Senate had its first attempt at amending the long bill this year, and over 50 amendments were offered that day. I believe about 15 of them made it on, including one of our priorities, which we'll talk about here in a little bit around family planning. And then it's anticipated that the long bill will be debated for a couple days next week um, in, in the House of Representatives. Uh, for them to do the same thing, debate within the state budget, offer amendments to either add funding or shift funding or remove funding, and then it'll go back to the Joint Budget Committee before going uh, onto the governor's desk. That's really what's, what's top of folks' minds right now. Awesome. Thank you for that. So let's check in on the children's campaign priority areas and some of the priority bills. So we've talked about some of these on the podcast um, in depth. Some of them we just talked about when you joined us in January. Um, but we'd love a refresher and an update. So let's start with early childhood. What, what's happening with our early childhood bills right now? Yeah. So folks, hopefully recall, um, we've done a lot in the early childhood space with a lot of partners over the last couple of years. Uh, a lot of it stemming from Proposition EE, which was passed in 2020, uh, which was a increased tax on nicotine, cigarettes, vape products, with the intent of sending those um, increased tax revenue dollars to a universal pre-K program. And so after that, we worked on several pieces of legislation, including a 500 to 600 page bill last year to create a brand new department of early childhood and to finally get the ball rolling on this universal pre-K program 
which is set to launch fall of this year, uh, fall of 2023. Mm, really exciting. So we really have done a lot. Yeah, it's exciting, right? And, and things are going really well with the rollout of that program. Um, and so we've been, um, we've had a lot done. So this year, first and foremost, with a 500, 600 page bill, there's gonna need to be some cleanups done, some technical changes made for the new department and the universal pre-K program. So we're really proud to be uh, working on and supporting the technical cleanup for, for that new early childhood state agency. That bill has actually made its way through a vote already in the House Education Committee. It's House Bill 1235 and is moving its way along. But then we also do have a pretty substantial funding priority for early childhood that we're working on. And this has to do with the child care contribution tax credit. This is a tax credit that's been on the books in Colorado for a few decades now. And what it is, is it's for folks who donate to child care facilities or related services, they get a 50% credit back on their income taxes. So if you donate $100 to a child care facility, you can claim up to a $50 credit um, on your taxes, all the way up to $100,000. It's a very generous credit. But what it translates into is about $60 million a year that the childcare industry has come to rely on in the state of Colorado. And like most tax credits, they're only on the books for a set amount of time before they're set to repeal and go away. And so they need to be reauthorized from time to time. Well, this particular tax credit is up for reauthorization. So we've been working with a lot of early childhood partners to make sure that this $60 million benefit stays on the books. And so far, things have been going really well with this tax credit. We have bipartisan sponsors in both chambers. It was introduced early in session. It passed unanimous, unanimously out of its first committee. And right now, things are looking pretty good for House Bill 1091 to get this tax credit renewed. Awesome. Um, let's move on to talk about health. So you mentioned this a little bit uh, in your talk about the budget, but I know we've had some updates on our reproductive health priorities and um, some progress on continuous eligibility and Medicaid as well. So yeah. what's going on there? Yeah, well, reproductive health access and abortion care access have really been uh, hot button issues at the Capitol. Several bills have been introduced uh, to promote better um, access to health uh, healthcare, reproductive health access, and abortion care. And those have been making their way through the process with a lot of lengthy debate, some of them going hours and hours into the evening, um, even to the next day sometimes they've been that contentious. So we've been really proud to support the package of bills that's making its way through there. But one of our top priorities is, once again, another funding priority. And this has to do with the state's family planning program that's run out of our public health department. Uh, family planning uh, funds go to clinics throughout the state that largely serve low-income Coloradans have access to family planning services, things like contraceptives, things like uh, smoking cessation if folks want to start their families or beyond certain contraceptives. Really important program with a lot of proven evidence-based services, but it's severely underfunded in this state. It just does not have enough funds in it to meet the need that, that Coloradans have and especially with the overturning of Roe over the summer with the Dobbs decision, we've seen that a lot more people are coming to Colorado to access abortion care and to access, access reproductive health care, which is great. We want Colorado to remain a leader in that space. But what that also means is that we need Colorado to be a leader when it comes to family planning funding, too. So we worked with a lot of partners to run one of those amendments I was talking about, one of the 50 amendments offered on the long bill in the Senate 
was an additional additional $1 million for family planning funding. That made it on successfully with minimal debate. Really glad to see that. Senator Janice Marchman led the charge uh, for this amendment in the Senate, uh, made it on. And now we need to make sure that it stays on as the long bill moves through through the House. And so we're really going to be focused on that. And then once that uh, is hopefully successfully done, we're going to be advocating with a lot of partners over the summer, fall, and winter months to make sure that the family planning program is adequately funded in this state so Colorado truly can remain that leader. Awesome. And if you want to learn a little bit more about that, we did talk about the family planning program on the podcast a few weeks back, and uh, we were excited to see some coverage of this issue in the Denver Post, too. So thanks for that update and exciting that there's going to be a little bit, yeah. or it looks like there's there may be some more funding depending on what happens on in the, the house. Right track so, right yeah. Now. Yep. Yeah. Um, and how about the continuous eligibility and um, Medicaid um, work that you've been working on? Yeah, I know you all had had um, some discussions about this on the podcast as well. But we've been working on um, some policies around keeping people eligible for public health insurance programs like Medicaid or CHIP, the Children's Health Insurance Plan. Um, and this is kind of something that we've taken as a lesson learned, a silver lining from the COVID pandemic. During the public health emergency with COVID, the federal government said that folks who are enrolled in Medicaid or CHIP can stay locked into their coverage as long as the public health emergency um, is continuing. That's been really great for folks throughout the state of Colorado and throughout the nation, right? When they have health insurance coverage, you have greater access to health care. And Colorado has actually been a leader, um, as you all discussed about in the podcast earlier, around uh, maintaining health insurance coverage, especially for kids throughout the pandemic. Well, we want to take one of those lessons learned and follow the lead of other states like Oregon, Washington, New Mexico, Massachusetts. And we want to pass policy here in Colorado that would lock people into their Medicaid or CHIP coverage for a longer period of time. So right now, kids in the state of Colorado have 12 months of continuous coverage. So that means if your eligibility changes, you don't actually get kicked off of your Medicaid or CHIP coverage. For adults, it's six months. But other states have been looking at some pretty critical populations and thinking about, can we do that for a longer period of time? So for instance, could kids under the age of six be locked into their health insurance coverage the entire time from that birth to six uh, time period? Could older kids, instead of 12 months, could they receive 24 months of continuous eligibility? And could we increase the eligibility for certain adults, like those experiencing homelessness or living in deep poverty? Could we extend that coverage for at least a year? We know that when people have this coverage, they have much better health outcomes. And so we've been working diligently with legislative leadership, the Joint Budget Committee, to see if Colorado can do some of these great best practices from COVID and make sure that really critical populations maintain their health insurance coverage for much longer. And we should see some progress on that legislation in the upcoming weeks. Awesome. We'll look forward to hearing what happens. Another bucket of work is what we've been calling family economic prosperity. So what's yes. um, what's happening with the, the bills uh, in that category right now? Yeah. Well, this year we've really been focused on evictions and, and eviction protections for families. Once again, this comes from a lot of things that we saw throughout the pandemic, right? Uh, folks were struggling to make ends meet. And thankfully for a good chunk of the pandemic, we had things like moratoriums on eviction, so people weren't getting kicked out of their homes. 
We had things like rental assistance to help families make end meets and make ends meet and actually make sure they can make their rent payment. But a lot of those protections have gone away. And so we are starting to see an uptick and people who are being evicted throughout the state of Colorado. But similar to the continuous eligibility policy, there were some good lessons learned from the pandemic. And one of those things was around the proceedings, the legal proceedings that folks have to go through when they are being evicted. There is a formal court process that folks have to go through. And throughout the pandemic, courts were allowing families and tenants, even landlords, to video conference into the courtroom using things like WebEx or Zoom so that folks didn't have to travel to the courthouse to actually be a part of, of these hearings. And that led to some great outcomes, right? That was really good for access to our judicial system. And so we, along with some other partners like the Colorado Poverty Law Project, want to see if we can get that solidified in the state of Colorado and allow for folks to continue to Zoom in, video conference in or telephone in to their court proceedings. And that really makes a lot of sense, I think, in our minds, right? If you're someone that is facing housing insecurity, you're probably facing a lot of other barriers in your life, whether it be access to transportation, access to childcare. Um, it might be hard to take time off from a job or be able to make a court date. I've also seen folks with disabilities um, can often have um, difficulty accessing our court system, as well as people who live in the rural parts of our state, where it might be an hour to two to three hour drive to the nearest courthouse. And so we think that allowing folks to have greater access by allowing them to call in or zoom in to these court proceedings will really lead to some great outcomes. And so far, the, the, the legislature has agreed as well. It's House Bill 1186-1186 some great sponsors in both chambers. And so far we've received bipartisan votes through multiple committees. It's already cleared the House of Representatives. It's been introduced in the Senate and we should have a hearing here in the Senate, which we anticipate to go really smoothly. And we should see some great access maintained to our judicial system as a result of it. Awesome, thanks for that update. Uh, in, when we talked about that on the podcast, it was interesting to hear about this as part of a broader move toward thinking about how people can access the legal system. So we'll be really yeah. curious to see what we see. Hey, yeah. It's the 21st century, right? right? We should be able to, if, if we can record podcasts and if we can um, all zoom in from our house, then we can make life a lot easier. We should be able to apply that to our ju judicial system as yeah, well. Yeah, for sure. Awesome. Um, and our fourth and final category is youth success. So I know there's some things happening related to school finance. Um, so can you, can, can you give us a little update there? Yeah, so our youth success work does encompass our, our school finance work. And this is stuff that we've been working on for several years. Folks have heard us talk about it on the West Seth. And the children's campaign always has a vested interest in ensuring that the dollars that we have for K-12, for public schools in this state are directed in the most equi equitable way possible. But unfortunately, our School Finance Act is over 30 years old or nearly 30 years old at this point, and it's outdated, it's antiquated, and it is not directing funds to the students that we know need it the most, mostly students who are living in poverty, students who um, have English as, as a second language, and students who have special needs. 
we do not do a good job in our state of actually directing our finite resources to the places that we need it the most. And instead, our School Finance Act directs funding towards districts and schools that already have a lot of resources, that are already fairly wealthy. And we do not do a good job of redirecting to other funds, but we want to change that. And so we've been in talks with with legislative leadership, members of the Joint Budget Committee, several other legislators about, can we do something different with our school finance uh, system in Colorado? Our economy's booming. Local property wealth is is going up, uh, which means that the tax revenue for K-12 public schools is also going up. We have more money in the system that we could actually be directing in a more equitable way. And now we just need the legislature to act and to actually take some, some steps to direct those funds to students living in poverty, to students learning English as a second language, and to our students who are enrolled in special education. We hope that we can see some movement on that in these final weeks of session. Great. Well, we'll look forward to hearing more about that too. And um, I think school finances feels like such a wonky topic, but it really Mm -hmm. shows up in such a concrete way in kids' classrooms and the services they're getting. So um, hope that we can see some changes there. Us too. Yeah. So this, um, every year in this session and in life, of course, there are the unexpected things that happen, things that uh, wind up shaping some of the conversation in the discourse and in the legislature. Um, so what are some of the things that have happened this year since January that have, have wound up shaping what legislators and policymakers are thinking about? Yeah. So maybe I'll talk one that's more about budget, and then we'll, we'll talk about some of the political dynamics that we're seeing play out under the gold dome right now. So we talked about the state budget, the long bill, the annual appropriation for state government. And it's kind of an interesting case here in Colorado, where even though our economy is doing really well, we should have increased tax revenue. A lot of people are moving here. Home prices are going up, unemployment's down. We should see more money for services in our state government. But because we have some constitutional constraints, folks uh, often talk about it as the Taxpayer Bill of Rights or TABOR, the state of Colorado can't actually use all the money that it takes in through tax revenue. And instead, we have limits on how much we can spend on certain programs, and then we have to refund all that money out to taxpayers in various ways. But what that means is that the budget situation for the state of Colorado is actually much tighter than folks would probably expect it to be. So while we do have a lot of tax revenue coming in, there actually isn't a lot available to grow programs or start new programs or services And so the general notion over at the Capitol this session is that it's a tight budget year, that things are not going to be as robustly expanded as folks would maybe expect. And we've been right there in the mix with that, too. Right. We want to see increased funding for family planning services. It's a 20 million dollar shortfall, but we're able to get a million dollars at this time. We want to see more funding for Medicaid and for CHIP and for school finance. But there just in reality isn't actually as much as many dollars to go around which I think is both surprising to a lot of people and then frustrating to a lot of folks who work in this space, especially legislators. So that's been constantly overhanging the the, the state capitol this year. And the other thing that's really started to play out, um, and was probably expected, but maybe not to the degree that it's been witnessed, has been a lot of the partisanship that's been playing out at the state capitol. If folks can recall from our first podcast that I was on, we talked about how Democrats actually grew their majorities in both chambers, the House and the Senate. They actually have a supermajority in the House uh, right now. 
But what that's really led to is I think a lot of partisan divide at the state capitol. And so we've seen a lot of contentious debates around things like gun control, around things like abortion access that have stretched into the late hours. There's been a couple times where the legislatures worked until the early a.m. hours. One day they worked from you know 9 a.m. to 6 a.m. the next day, just debating and debating and offering amendments back and forth. And it really has become kind of tense on, um, at the state capitol. There's a lot of work to do in a finite amount of 120 days. And the folks at this point, now that we only have 40 days left, I think there's some nerves that are starting to build up because things aren't moving as quickly because a lot of bills are being filibustered or being held up by very lengthy debate. Folks were expecting that, but to have so many days gone into the late, late hours or early morning hours is pretty unexpected. Sometimes we see that later on in the final days of session, but this kind of contentiousness started pretty early for this session. Okay, interesting. Yeah, so I guess um, the children's campaign supports bills that aren't really part of that, um, you know, those four policy areas, things that we know advance yeah. kids' well-being are really important for um, children and families. And this year, I know we did support a few gun-related bills, and I know we've taken positions on a, a number of other interesting topics and bills. Um, so, yeah, do, any anything you want to highlight in terms of things that really weren't that we haven't talked about so far, but are bills that the children's campaign has been involved in that you think are really important? Yeah. So I think there's, there's, um, of course, a lot of things affects kids and families, right. right? We have our main issue areas, but a lot of things touch on kids and families. And so we often have our, our, our involvement in a lot of other policies that maybe aren't just children's campaign specific ones, but we're always out here to support our partners um, in, in our various spaces. And one that's actually been, again, pretty contentious at the state capitol has been heavily lobbied by a bunch of different uh, industry groups has been around facility fees that hospitals can charge. These are fees that hospitals have been able to charge patients for, for several years um, that could include anything from telehealth services to outpatient services. And what folks are finding is when they've gone to seek medical care at certain things, even if it wasn't as a, at a hospital, they're often receiving extra bills with these facility fees in them. And they can be astronomical amounts, things that families just can't uh, spend the money on, things that aren't covered by insurance and can really lead to a lot of negative financial and even health outcomes. If folks start to get these bills, they're probably more reluctant to seek out care at certain facilities because they don't want to be charged some of these astronomical rates. Well, this is a bill that we support. It's being led by our partners over at the Colorado Consumer Health Initiative. It's a model national policy that's been adopted in many states, but it's met a lot of pushback from hospitals, from other healthcare providers. And so the bill has been amended. It's been uh, uh, narrowed down to just right now include no facility fees on like telehealth services or preventative services. But that's definitely one that hits on a few different of our issue areas, right? We have a, a health policy angle that we can view this from where we want people to seek care at the most appropriate setting that works for them and make sure they're getting timely care no matter what their, their, their issue might be. But we also look at it from that uh, family economic prosperity angle where if you're receiving a bill for astronomical amounts and thousands and thousands of dollars, well, what are you suddenly not spending money on because you have to pay this bill? 
Is it a challenge to pay your rent? Is it a challenge to put food on the table? So the Children's Campaign is proud to support this legislation, and we'll be watching it as it makes its way through the process. Awesome. Well, thanks for that update. And I know if people are interested in other things that we've been following this year, they can find them on our, our website on our capital updates uh, page. So um, appreciate that rundown. Anything else that you yeah. want to share um, with people about kind of the content of bills or what's been happening uh, at the legislature so far in 2023? Yeah, I think it's been a, a very interesting year. Um, I think from the children's campaign perspective, as we talked about early on, so many new members, right, making their way into the legislature. There are a lot of new folks won elections. The Democratic majority has been expanded. And so we've really been using this legislative session as a relationship building year. And I really encourage others to, to do that as well, right? There are legislators that are coming in that are new to our issue areas, that are new to the children's campaign. And so we've been really proud to work with a lot of freshmen. The, the senator that I mentioned earlier, Senator Marchman, who helped us with the family planning amendment, she's a freshman. That was her first time ever running a long bill amendment. We were really proud to work with her on that. And in the House, we're actually going to work with two other freshmen, Rep. Jenny Wilford and Rep. Megan Lukens, both uh, freshmen who care a lot about kids and families. They're going to help us make sure that family planning amendment makes its um, way on to the long bill as well. And so while we are always trying to push policies ahead for the kids of Colorado, we also know that we have some, we all have long-term goals. We need to have long-term relationships. So we've really been um, encouraging folks and encouraging ourselves to go out there and make those relationships, share your insights, share your expertise. Yeah, the children's campaign always prides itself on being that bridge between community and the capital. And so if folks ever need any contact information, if they ever want any intel for any representatives or senators of who works on what issue area or what area are they from, or can I get in contact with my senator? We'd be more than happy to help facilitate that. We'd be more than happy to share our resources on how to contact members. We'd be more than happy to make those introductions and connections. So feel free to always reach out to us. We, do, we really do pride ourselves on being that connection for the community. Awesome. And Riley, I appreciate your reminder of all of these individual humans who are making these decisions and moving things forward, these relationships and like the knowledge that's shared is all uh, like that. That's what's happening when it comes down to it is all these people making decisions. So thanks for that it's reminder. It's relationship business. Yes. Yep. Um, well, Riley, thank you so much for joining us and giving us an update on where things stand in 2023. Uh, the end of the session feels pretty close, though. I'm sure we'll be talking okay. again soon to sort of get the rundown on um, what's happened. Um, but uh, yeah, in the meantime, thank you and have a great afternoon. Thank you. You as well, Jackie. Thank you for joining us on The West Steps. If there's something you'd like to hear us talk about on the podcast, you can send us an email at media at coloradokids.org. The West Steps and the rest of the Children's Campaign's work is possible thanks to our philanthropic funders and our generous sponsors and donors. If you enjoy resources like the West Steps, consider supporting our work by visiting coloradokids.org. The West Steps is a production of the Colorado Children's Campaign. It was created by Beza to Death. Our producer is Emily Battaglia, and I'm your host, Jackie Zubricki. Subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts.